Okay, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Today, I have, um, how will I put this? I think the longest I've waited for a guest to be on the interview was Daryl Davis of episode 77. I think I waited almost two years for him. I want to say a year and eight months or something. Uh, and I think I've had other long waits too as well. But Aura, who I'm having on the podcast today, uh, it's been a year since we spoke about getting on the podcast. And uh, how's everything been with you so far since then? It's been an interesting year. Uh, a lot has happened. I don't even know where to start, but it, but being in LA in June, in, it feels very strange because around this time, um, I was headed with three strangers that became like my brothers. Uh, we were road tripping from having been arrested for curfew in LA. We decided that LA wasn't the place to, to mobilize and the place that we needed to be was in DC. So I took a chance on them and they took a chance on me and we, we headed on the road and it was very spiritual for me. And it was very political. It was, it was very uh, loving. Um, I learned a lot about myself, about the connection between um, communities, the, the parallels from the East Coast to the West Coast. I, I learned a lot about community and love and friendship. Um, I learned a lot about corruption and, and brutality. I learned about what it means to be human. Um, it, it was quite a, a life-changing experience, I'd say. Right, right. And and we're going to get into all that. Like you have such a, a tumultuous 2020 and even 2021, which we're going to get into, uh, you know, shortly. I guess um, first, uh, let, let me talk about your, your nickname. So your, your name is Aura Caroline Flores Chavez, and but your yes. friends call you Caracol. I'm called Caracol. It's kind of a play on, on my middle name, the first four letters and the word Caracol, which means snail. Um, means snail in yes, Spanish? it means snail. It means snail in Spanish. Yes. Interesting. Why, why are you being associated with a snail? I. It's a spiral for me. Oh. Yeah, it's it's a spiral, and I love slugs, so it's it's kind of fit. Um, I love caterpillars too. I love the metamorphosis of those creatures. I love the sliminess of them. I I, I don't know um, how much of how much connection I have to them other than childhood memories of you know my my cousins torturing snails in their backyard and <laughs> i always felt i always felt for them kids um, try right. to stop yeah kids have try to stop them you know like the the old myth of, of like put pouring salt on on a snail mm, yeah right. yeah and yeah, it's, we used to it's do that with worms when yeah. we were younger oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but actually I I, I did a project in Mexico City um, where I filled a, a plastic um, kind of sandbag with a bunch of uh, poetry, sculptures, and I left it outside along with other art pieces. And I, and I left them for two, two weeks with the elements. Um, it rained, it was windy, uh, things were decaying on top of it. I put this bag on top of a raised bed. And during um, the ex exposition, actually, I turned it over to show somebody like the insides. And there were at least seven or so caracoles, snails, just chilling, chilling in the bottom. So it was so, it, it was, it was so such a blessing um, to, to witness that because I hadn't seen them in such a long time. Um, it, it's interesting in you, met, 
It's interesting you mentioned that story because you are an artist, right? And that's kind of like how we met. So I remember I went to D.C., you know, kind of like in the middle of the whole protest uh, thing that happened last year in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing. And I was, I went to D.C., I think I was supposed to go to the Nigerian embassy to sort out a few things. And on my way back from D.C. to Colorado, you actually sat sat next to me on the plane and Mm -hmm. you were just like drawing different things on like a piece of paper. And I was just observing you. I'm like, oh, like, oh, she seems... uh, interesting and creative you were drawing like really interesting things on paper yeah. and I try to like you know strike up a conversation and you you told me that oh you know you're going back to California you know you were in, in DC for for the protest and you know we just got talking and you know that's how I, I kind of like I wanted you to come on the podcast but l- let's peel back the layers a little bit before we get into yeah. your reason for being in DC so talk to me about you know the early days you know from what I understand um, you're Mexican and you were born in LA. So uh, talk yes. to me about, you know, what it was like you uh, for you uh, growing up, you know, as a Mexican in Los Angeles. Yeah, um, it was very close-knit. I think my family kept to themselves. Uh, for the most part, we weren't. Uh, the Mexican community that we did know lived uh, spread out in Hollywood and um, even Long Beach. Uh, but our but my neighborhood had people from Armenia, like, um, Salvador, um, Guatemala, like just different places, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't solely a Mexican community. Uh, I grew up in East Hollywood, like by Western and Santa Monica. It was like by little Thai town. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, it was a good mix. I had a lot of different, uh, kinds of friends. I had Chinese friends, you know, I had <laughs> so many, um, there was a little private preschool that I went to that, um, honored each and every one of our cultures um and and that's where i learned to speak english because in our household we just spoke spanish with the occasional slang or you know like the funny words that sound you know funny in in span like spanglish um (laughs) and and so when it wasn't until uh, first grade that I went to public school and I, I had no idea what I was like, where I was. All my, all my classmates were, uh, were born in LA or, or were migrant children with migrant parents and they only spoke Spanish. So this, my elementary school was, uh, a bilingual school to, to start with. Uh, it was bilingual for up, I think up to grade three if I'm not mistaken. And I was the only one who learned, who, who knew English, but lost her Spanish. Like, I, and so it was a struggle. I, I had but, no but you friends. You were speaking Spanish at home, right? We were speaking Spanish at home, but after preschool and kindergarten, I, I just, I was just speaking English like a brat, you know, like I didn't want to speak Spanish. And then I learned my tough lesson in first grade. And, um, but it was an advantage, you know, because I was able to, 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 to help um, the teacher with with the communication, and I was and I learned I relearned uh, Spanish. So I I know I'm fluent in Spanish, reading and writing, and in English, and so um, nice. definitely helped helped to be in a diverse group of group setting. Um, and my so my dad's family is from Michoacan, 
it's a, a different state in Mexico. So all his brothers and sisters, which total six, uh, migrated to LA like in the 90s. And so, and my, my mom came after my my parents got married. Um, she had a visa at the time because she, she had an office job uh, working at a, a Michelin tire uh, shop in Mexico City. So she was able to overstay her visa. Um, and But she was the only one from her family. So she was very isolated. Um, she only had my aunt. We moved around a lot uh, up until we, we found the home on that used to be our home in La Mirada uh, in Hollywood. And and it's a duplex. So I had my, my older cousin, Rudy, and my and my aunt Lola in one house with my Theo Chava and then we, we, we had the, the back house um, it was just like the three of us for a while until my sister was born six years after and yeah it was it, it was pretty fun um, we we got to there was a time where you know we we had fences but we got to we knew our neighbors you know we knew everybody all the kids were would play with each other in the streets and uh there's a big like skate crew and and like soccer crew that that would uh baseball you know it was just nice. very lively it was so so full of life um now you go back and it's it's totally different like everyone especially with covid like you know every everyone's just kept to themselves and um it's yeah, just not the same interactions I, I i guess back then there was you know no social media so you had to interact with people kind of like physically True. Uh, I'm, I'm not too familiar with the you know geography of, of los angeles but growing up in east hollywood like i hear the, the term hollywood that uh, would you say that was kind of like uh you know um above average income area or uh, would you say um, it was slightly privileged or no well it, it it was definitely working class um my my all my dad's brothers are plumbers and they they work independently so we definitely were like middle class growing up yeah it was it was definitely like a pretty comfortable um situation up until three years ago where like that my childhood home was had to be sold um to a chinese family and it's it was so heartbreaking because that's like 20 years worth of memories of, of memories and, right um, i mean i can i can relate to that in a way um i mean you, you have you know this typical immigrant story in a way i mean you were born in la but your parents you know came over uh from another country uh you you spoke Spanish at home, you spoke English in school up until later, you know, all these different things. You, you always were exposed to both sides of the fence, but you don't like to refer to yourself as Chicana, which is kind of like the term used for Mexican-Americans. You say you're Mexican, right. not necessarily Mexican-American. Like, why is that? I... To say that I'm also American, it's very, I mean, both are very political terms, right? Um, but just to fully embrace, like, um, America, I, I've never been patriotic. Like, I've never, I've always challenged, like, my the spaces that I, I, I inhabit. Like, um, I always knew that America, like, didn't want us. Like it did, it like needed us for, for labor, but it, it never really fully accepts us. So I kind of, as kind of like a fuck you, I, I'm like, I don't accept you fully, you know? So I'm going to, yeah. So I'm going to accept my, my Mexican roots, um, uh, to my, 
fullest capacity. And when did you come to this realization? Was this pre-Trump? Was this when you were um, a kid? It, it definitely, I definitely hung out with uh, with the adults in the family. I think it was equal parts, uh, you know, siblings and cousins. But it, it, when my uncle started talking about politics and in like, you know, making the mundane political, mundane political, I, I was really intrigued. Like we used to talk about immigration, um, labor, um, um, at some point we talked about abortion, you know, it was just very, and I was a kid. Like it was just, I've always been welcomed in those conversations and I've always been uh, very interested in them. So I, um, yeah, I, I, the wor words are very powerful and, and identity is, is powerful and who you are and it, as a person, it should speak volumes beyond, you know, it, it should, you should know why you identify as, as X, Y, Z, um, it shouldn't just be a trendy, you know, it, it should, it should connect with something beyond, uh, the physical. Um, so it's a lot of, yeah, I, I guess I was exposed to a lot of theory and opinions and debate as, as a little girl. Um, and I'm glad that my, my, my elders welcome that because I know I, that a lot of my peers don't have the same experience as me. And, you know, they, they were, it was, yeah, it was like the elders are in the room. Shh, kids don't talk. Like you go play outside, you know, like it, it, I, I know a lot of people who, who, who didn't come to this really to come to identity politics until later, until college. And I already explored that as a kid. Like I, I already knew the concept of homelessness at the age of seven, you know, like I, it was, I was very um, observant and um, always asked questions and challenged authority, like to the point where I gave my mom headaches because I challenged her a lot <laughs> as a girl. Like, yeah. So did you get any not, of the, I mean, Im immigrant mothers, I don't know. They are mostly alike in many ways. Did you get any of the projectiles, yeah. like the slippers thrown across the room? Like? <laughs> my, my, my mom was more hard core my mom my, my mom was definitely like she did not play into the slippers my aunt did um uh, but there was other there was other uh, uh strategies um more psychological yeah right, <laughs> it was right, very right. yeah i mean that's um, an interesting way to grow up like I, I remember me growing up and like you said you know whenever i mean i'm african i'm west african i'm nigerian mm -hmm. like you dare not like, yeah. look your elders in the eye or talk when they're talking yeah. and even sometimes when they're just making jokes in the living area and you're serving them drinks or whatever and they make a joke and you laugh like that's a problem i'm like i can't help <laughs> myself <laughs> laughing like you said something funny and my mom always said yeah. enjoying senior jokes or whatever oh. you know? So yeah, you know, tell cute. me to get out or, you know, go play outside. Well, that was pretty interesting. You know, you having all these uh, conversations and being exposed to, you know, liberal ideas at seven. But how did that translate? Like, you know, it's one thing for you to understand and go deeper into some of these political philosophies and things. But how did that uh, morph into a spirit of, you know, protest and civil disobedience and taking action? to wanting to yeah. see, you know, better in the world. Was yeah. there a pivotal moment? Like, did it gradually, like, did things happen in school that you just didn't like and you chose to cause change? Like, how did that gradually happen? Yeah, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about this in a, in a long time since, uh, since junior college. So right after I, during high school, I, I was very much um, involved in, in, there was a, a organization called Human Rights Watch, Student 
task force and we had projects where we would teach um, our peers about uh, world worldwide like human rights uh, issues. Wow, and um, this was high school. Yeah, this was high school. Um, and then so then I, I decided uh, to go to community college and not go straight to a four-year private or public institution because I, I, I saw the irony, I saw the, the, the contradiction. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want, like it was, a my high school was a, a private um, liberal arts uh, college prep to, to put it, uh, to sum it up. So I, I had to take the PSATs like every year and it was just so daunting <laughs> and so the to think that I I I had to like pretty much um, sell myself once more like for a third time to 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 an institution that really doesn't care about me I just didn't want to do that I didn't want to rush the journey of of knowledge in an institution and I wasn't even sure if I what I wanted to do I wasn't sure I knew I loved art I knew I loved social justice I knew I I wanted to keep exploring um, my roots, but I, I didn't know where to start. But I, I ended up going to Pierce College for my first semester. Um, and instantly trying to add classes was a nightmare. You know, we had a, a room full of, of students, like 60 to like more than 100 students trying to uh, get a seat. Uh, out of 30 seats available and that happened a lot in high demand classes like math and English and like you know um, the sciences and so I immediately like after my I tried to add a psychology class and I was so angry at the professor because um, they had they seemed powerless you know like if if I wasn't if I was a professor if I was running a, a school I would let everybody everybody like who wanted to be there to, to learn and I and I didn't realize how bad um, it was to get an education <laughs> until I went to to Pierce College um, and so after that the one instance I um, the teacher suggested that we that we gather and, and go talk to admissions and see if you know they would open up more uh, high demand classes and so I was like yeah fuck yeah I'm gonna do that like who wants to come with me <laughs> like let's go talk to this administration because this is ridiculous and of course uh, it, it it was taken in vain because they they we they gave us no power they they have the power to do change, right? To make change. They have so much money that they allocate to to the administration and they don't have all allocate resources enough for students and, and workers and teachers. Wait, let me ask you, how many people followed you uh, to, to make uh, those demands? Um, I would say about 30. Oh, wow. A lot of people. Yeah. And the, but they only let three people in in the room to talk to the the, the admins. So I was one of them, and then two other uh, uh, classmates. And and yeah, it was that's how it started. That's how my um, I guess that's how I became more politicized um, in terms of organizing. Um, yeah, and then the the it, it, the story continues. It it it's a fast forward. I uh, was recruited to a it, in SMC. I was recruited by um, a, a high school friend of mine. Uh, um, their name is Zamaria. And and so you were they, recruited to what organization? They it was called La Voz. La Voz. La, La Voz. La Voz de los Trabajadores. It's a, a socialist. Uh, 
party that stems from uh, the Litsi of Brazil. So it was a small, it was like, a, there was a, a Berkeley uh, cadre and then there was an LA cadre so or Nucleo. And so I was, I was recruited uh, unknowing that it was like <laughs> uh, something even beyond my understanding at the time. Like I had, I had, I had no, we had red marks, but I had no like um, understanding fully of, of how to apply that, that uh, to organizing until I, I met them. Interesting. I mean, you mentioned, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, uh, school being an institution and, you know, even though, you know, the American educational system is mostly capitalists and, you know, growing their endowments and all these things mm-hmm. and making money and, you know, propping up the student loan system for profit right. and all that stuff. Right. Most liberals I know would love to go to college because college is mostly liberal in most of America and it's kind of like a playground for for um, people with liberal views to kind of like recruit or do different things like that but you weren't like too interested and it took you a while to get around to college yeah that's that's kind of like interesting to know yeah yeah it was to the point where i was organizing more than i was studying and i was still getting good grades but i was like not interested in the grades i wasn't i was more interested in changing the system we eventually created um, when you say the system this started from the school system right most of the things around school pierce college you say it was pierce college but then i moved around a lot i went to valley college College. I went to SMC. I went to East LA College. I went to LACCD. Uh, what is it? The City College. Um, and it, I got to know that it, this this is not just and even this is not just in LA or or in California. It's like it's it's cross country and even in Pasadena, Pasadena El Monte, like. Um, other schools, they joined in with the cause. Like we were able to organize within the school system uh, in university, Lavos, right through the Lavos. Yeah, through the body of Lavos and other organizations like Mecha and uh, us. We created like a student organizing committee at SMC, um, and we we challenged the administration. And there was one instance I can forward you the the article. It's really old now, but they at a board meeting they actually we there was. A, huge amount of people that came through the board meetings capacity was only maybe like 30 or 40 and they ended up um they ended up pepper spraying oh like all of us and it, it was mayhem and this was ha- that ha- this happened in 2012 um and, and from then on pro- protesting for at that instance the, uh, at that instance they were trying to to up, up the fees um, yeah, and they weren't uh, paying uh, the student workers or um, teachers were had, you know, um, issues as well. Like there was no, yeah, the, no they one. They weren't paying but, the student workers or they weren't paying enough? Yeah, exactly. They weren't paying enough uh, at the same time that they were increasing um tuition that's interesting um, and when you say you were recruited to Laval, like how did that happen is there some kind of forgive my ignorance is there some kind of initiation or you just like go for a meeting and that's about it um yeah i just went to a meeting and at student organizing committee they i guess they were observing me they were observing everyone um kind of how we moved what we said um what our inclinations were, our potential. Uh, we and then they 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 had classes. They had uh, classes where we we would read theory and then try to 
and then have uh, discussions and then try to apply that to our organizing. So that I was really attracted to that because um, it just it I love I like putting theory to practice. So if there if you only do theory and you don't know how to how to use that in your everyday like it's pointless like you got to be able to use it you got yeah you got to be able to change the world with what you with with the knowledge given and what is being disseminated um uh well let me ask this like practice stems from theory right and theory stems from ideal so you joined this organization mm -hmm. that was that had like socialist ideals if i can classify level as that yes that was kind of like a training ground. Now you said, you know, you didn't really understand what you were getting into. Having grown all the way from 2012 to now almost 10 years, um, I, I would imagine you have, you have maybe studied or, you know, known about other ideals. What would you classify yourself? What would you say your core belief is leaning more towards nowadays? <laughs> is it like socialism? Yeah, it's definitely, I'm a socialist at heart, but I, I do have uh, anarchist tendencies. So I'm I'm a I'm a walking contradiction myself. Like I I, I definitely, especially in DC, it was it was very much a, a mixture of socialist and anarchist uh, ideology happening. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, that's that's how we were able to um, have momentum and create community was was through different ideals coming together for for a cause greater than than greater than our ideals because at the end of the day we're going to meet people from all walks of life and we got to be able to to sit in in, in unison to, and connect and and plan for something you know make the make society better uh, and it's possible i've seen it i've witnessed it um it's a, it comes with challenges but it, it's not otherworldly like it happens all the time it's happened historically you know it's um, I mean, it's pretty interesting, like, like you're un unapologetic about stating, you know, what you believe in, whether that's, you know, popular in the law or not. I mean, you've been arrested several times, yeah. you know, you've, you've gone <laughs> yeah. through a whole bunch of shit, but, you know, you have this conviction, which is, you know, somewhat admirable for me being a Nigerian, because we are going through a lot of shit ourselves in our own government. Mm. And I always ask myself that, hey, you know, how much of this, like the government and the leaders are to blame for a lot of this, but, you know, how much, how much blame can be apportioned to the people like do we deserve some blame for allowing some of this shit to happen you know because you, you things can only happen to the extent to which the people allow it right and you know right. some people might say you know some uh modes of expressing grievance is kind of like too extreme when you start to um you know showcase anarchists anarchists you know and things like that and, and do things but others might say it's necessary you know, i'm neither here nor there i'm just kind of like here to learn about your story and and know know what happened in particular with the bhaz i guess we can fast forward to you know yeah, 20, it's, it's 2020 like, um so yeah. there was the whole george floyd issue mid-may i think may 25th unfortunately mm -hmm. mr floyd was pronounced dead and you know there was mm -hmm. this explosion you know um long overdue um, you know, black people had been saying it for years, um, but there right. was just this sudden explosion of like protests all over the country. You were in LA at the time, right? And at the time, yes. I think Governor Newsom had um, um, implemented a curfew. I think it was a few right. days after. Um, yes. But you, 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 and you know, a few of your friends didn't respect that curfew, and that was where the whole thing started. So walk me through, like that may like you guys yes. what from LA from the protests in LA like what happened yeah there was, that, 
honestly, it was an explosive moment in LA. Um, one that we hadn't seen that I hadn't seen, um, happening in this scale because my, my parents witnessed the, when, you know, the LA riots, uh, but I was a baby. So I had, I had no the memory of that. one riots. Yeah. Right. So when this happened, I was, I had learned about the LA riots and I was like, yo, this is, <laughs> this is, this isn't something that's going to just happen one day. And it didn't, it, it was, it it was several days and so the curfew was implemented and um i was i was photographing um a lot of a lot of it and i was part of the demonstrations and i was um an observer mostly as well and um also tagging messages of resistance and uh solidarity uh throughout la um, when but, they tagging messages of resistance what's that like graffiti kind of graffiti yes graffiti yeah, so um, so a couple of my friends at the time um, were mainly like front graffiti culture. So they were a lot. They were very much uh, present during the, the the riots and demonstration and um, the uprising. Um, but it, it the the day we got detained, we went to Long Beach to to photograph the aftermath because the the uprisings were happening like outside of LA. Um, and, and when you say we, how many of you, like, would you say? That day it was only three of us. Three, okay. And, and, and my car, Kaiju, which means monster in Japanese. <laughs> but yeah, Kaiju has spirit. It, it warned us that day. It, when we were, yeah, when we were coming back from Long Beach, um, the exit uh, in, in, there's an exit in, in downtown LA, um, and, uh, like leading, I don't like kind of like Placito Olvera area, uh, which is, uh, by union station. And my car, um, had this plastic thing that detached and it, and it started to, to rub against the, the road. So it was making this like <laughs> sound. And when, so when we, so we had stopped to check it out and cut it, we cut it. We try to cut it to the best that we could. And um, every time Kaiju speaks like that, um, it's it. I take it as a warning. Interesting. <laughs> um, what type of car is this? What model? A Scion IM. It was a, a avocado green. I wonder yeah. what kind of personality my car has. Probably a high maintenance <laughs> or something. Always <laughs> making me spend money. <laughs> <laughs> But I bougie, guess, bougie car. <laughs> it's a bougie car for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's a uh, the governor. Um, it it was a curfew, but it was it was on and off. It was like three p.m. No, it's five p.m. No, it's four p.m. And it it's kind of like, well, fuck the curfew. We gotta we gotta work. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And so, uh, we ended up, okay. At least two of us had to pee that night. So we go, we drive to an alley, mind you, my friend's house is in East LA. So we could have just gone straight to East LA and, and never would have been arrested or detained, but we decided to go through an alley and, um, and then we kept going and we saw lights at the end of the alley by kind of like little Tokyo maybe. And and my camera, I was trying to take a, I was trying to see with my, with my lens, with my, uh, long lens, like what it was. And at the same time I was trying to take pictures, but my camera was acting up like it was just flashing. 
and not taking any photographs. And and then the they were flashing their lights. And so now now we knew that they were cops. And so we were like, oh shit, like just stop the car and let's turn around. Uh, but uh, the friend who was driving kept going. They kept towards going the towards towards the cops. They kept going towards the cops. And we were and the cops stopped us at the end of the alley. Um, they uh, uh, George was driving. He lowered the the window, and the cops started talking to us as if we we did, were criminals, like we did something wrong. Or it was like you know you know it's curfew. You know you're not supposed to be out here. Like what are you doing out here? And then um, I think the the car door was unlocked, and so the the cop was just at some point. It, it escalated. It went from zero to a hundred. There, there were like three cops at every door, uh, and they just opened it. They just opened the car. Three um, cops at every door. So there were twelve cops. Oh no, sorry. Uh, I guess three, uh, one to two cops at every door. Um, uh, and so they just opened it, and and my friends freaked out. They got out of the car, and I was like, "No, what are, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you're not, you, you can't do this. You, it's it's not." I was I was protesting hard. I wasn't moving. Um, the cop, the cop. I got um, the officer. I got her name was Officer Chavez. Um, oh, ironic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and she was like, You're under arrest. And I'm looking at her like, bitch, like what for what? Like, why am I under arrest? Why are we under arrest? And and she's like, I don't know, but you're under arrest and you don't deserve to know. And, and that's why she's yeah. Yes. And and yes, and and all the cops there, um, they were they were just they were improvising. They were just playing they were playing a game and so they they ransacked my vehicle uh they they opened up the trunk at this point um i was the only one who was handcuffed with like actual handcuffs was that because um, they, you were resisting or yeah yeah and they they noticed that i had spray paint in the car they noticed like my camera they noticed a lot of different uh books uh they did they just they noticed like paint and canvases and you know i didn't we we didn't have anything else like we didn't have anything looted or whatever um but they but they so they separated me they took the two my two friends jaime and george they took jaime and george to one end and they took me to another end and at that point we noticed that not at that point but we they had already detained maybe 12 young adults and they were just sitting there on the curb um and so um so literally yeah. just waiting to run into people so they could arrest exactly people and detain people Exactly, and they were just waiting for the the the, the bus, the jail bus, to come, to come. by. Oh, yeah. so they packed all of you in like a jail bus and took you guys to jail. Yeah, but but later I find out that um, so I'm sitting, I'm we get we get thrown in the jail bus. At that point, I don't know how long the others have been just sitting with with zip ties on the floor um but there are a few that that look really like sad and like upset and i'm like yo put your head up like you did not murder anybody you know you're 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 not here because of of anything other than dumb curfew laws and and cops without scruples well, what so, was the makeup of most of the people like on the curb? Were, were like uh, um, young adults, black, black and brown, black and brown, black and brown. Uh, young adults. Uh, I think a couple of teenagers. Uh, no, not a couple of teenagers. Maybe like early twenties. Um, a couple of of like 
uh, white folk. Um, I don't, yeah, a lot. There were some, I guess, uh, some bikes were taken too. There were some people on bikes that were just pulled out like from the street. Um, at some point, they arrested a Domino's guy. Delivery like he, guy? Yes, the Domino's delivery guy was in the what jail bus. What happened to the pizza? <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That would have helped out in jail or something. Like, you guys were... Yeah. It's a, wait, so what charges were brought against you when you were eventually taken to jail? Uh, I never got to, to release. I think... I, I'll get back to you on that. It was for curfew, and then it was for... Uh, I don't... Oh, I, I know there was another charge, but um, I sat and I eventually... Um, and they, to- they so they towed my car, too. Um, and that was heartbreaking. That's where, like, my, my tears shed because I was just... Like, that was my baby, like, at Kaiju. Anyway... Um, I was sat across from, from a guy, a friend named Spencer and, um, and I didn't, well, I didn't know we were going to be friends at that point, but, but, um, we did sit across from each other and then the, his two other friends who sat way back in the back and we started, we were just waited and, um, they let us keep our phones. So I immediately started recording, um, like, uh, like audio, like, which I can also send to you recording so you had the, the phone in the jail cell. Yeah, yeah, um, of the bus, and we were and we were all zip tied, and I was I was um, still handcuffed, or I think they took my handcuffs off and they zip tied me. But um, was I the first details, time getting arrested? No, it wasn't my first time, but it was my first time being detained for three plus hours. Yeah, they denied us restroom access. They the whole time they were condescending and treating us like cattle. Wait, they, like they for denied slaughter. you restroom access, so there wasn't a, a toilet or something in no. the cell. No, 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 no. It, it wasn't. It was a bus, so it was a a bus with. Like cages, like a bus with cages and seats. Yeah, a, a jail bus. But they, so jail you're bus. saying they didn't transport you to a jail. So they so. they transported us to towards Long Beach, or uh, and then they they didn't book us. So they gave us all um, like slips because um, they knew they knew that what they're doing is illegal. Like they they did detain one person, but they already had um, like uh, something that they had account. done. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, sort of. But that's where. We were Jaime and I were waiting for um, for an Uber, and and that's that's where I met Spencer Ransom, and and then Amin came out because uh, Amin is Palestinian, so they held they, Ransom is is black uh, is black. He's from New Jersey, and so they and and uh, Spencer is white, so they let Spencer out. They let Spencer go, but they they detained. Um, they kept uh, Amin and Ransom for longer. So while I was Spencer was waiting for his friends, we started talking and um, eventually like um, his friends came out and, and, and we, we said goodbye and I didn't think I would ever see them again until the following day. Um, we went to the, the tow truck place, um, which is located in, in somewhere in downtown, like East Side. And there you go. There was the there there were the brothers. They were right there, and so that's where we exchanged information. And um, I had to I had to bail out Kaiju. It was like about three hundred dollars that car. I didn't have. Yeah, it was about three hundred dollars that I didn't have. The line was was enormous, like twenty plus people, like young adults waiting for their vehicles. Um, it was it was atrocious like how much money they the 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 police department made that night just with with with, with towing alone like it, it's and that's money that you don't see uh, like you don't get to see back does the, does the 
money for a towing go to the police department or the state or to the private towing company or they share it? I have no I have no clue. I can investigate. But what I do know is that this towing company specifically um, works for the, the, police, the department. Po- police department mm-hmm. yeah yeah interesting. Um, so you guys had a very like that was a pretty interesting night you guys getting detained and all that stuff but like the next day or like two days later like after you build out your car you decide to do a trip from la to dc it was actually that that same day it was june that same 1st. day where you turned where you told where you built yeah, your car so, you, so you yeah so may 31st we get detained we don't sleep because we, we get released like around that 4 a.m. in the morning. I can't sleep. Uh, my other friend is still detained, so we're waiting for him. And um, and then uh, uh, I exchanged information with with Spencer. Uh, and then uh, put it only my Instagram, and my Instagram wasn't like I didn't get notifications, but I just didn't didn't like that. So it, he was trying to get a hold of me the whole time. And I was already at home with my friend Yvonne, uh, who I, who I, you know, I needed. Uh, he was a support that day for me, and um, and then I finally answer, and I'm like, "Yo!" And he and he goes, "We have a proposition for you, and um, we we should we need to meet. Uh, where can you meet?" Uh, and so I we met at USC. Um, so I'm from the the west side, like sent, like by the beach, and so USC is towards downtown, like South Central area. And they were they were I find out that they they had to wait to get their car, and their their Ford Runner was was called Lisa. So they were waiting for Lisa. Um, and so uh, yeah, that we met there. Yeah, Lisa Kaiji. And then they just straight up told me like, hey, we we need we need a strong woman and on our on our team. We have this idea of going to D.C. and we think you're it. Like we saw everything that happened. We saw how they treated you. We saw how you resisted. We saw like how your car was ransacked. Like I don't know exactly where for what they were saying, but um, but that was basically like the gist of it. And I look up into the sky and I and I just have this like overwhelming like uh, feeling of of purpose of of a sign like like a divine a divinity to this decision and something that i i knew that was that was gonna break my mom's heart you know like just i decided to go so i i said yes and i and i said but my mom needs to give like my i need my mom needs to give me her blessing and so they they looked at me and they're like all, all our moms know and all our moms gave us their blood her their blessing so we're so we're leaving we're trying to leave today um so they we race back to my mom's on the west side i get i just pack one backpack with essentials i had like random little tools that i thought could could help throughout the trip i had no money like a rope <laughs> a lighter like uh i think i had like a, a poncho or like one of those first aid kit i had a first aid kit i i packed like maybe three sets of clothes um and and i i look and i and i said goodbye i said goodbye to my family as if i i would never see them again because i wasn't planning to come back alive i am um, like that's planning to come back alive yeah, yeah. What did your that's mom how, say? That's what how was it her felt. Reaction? She she just looked at me teary eyed and she was like, uh, "I need I need the pictures of your friend your friends IDs." And I lied to her. I was like, "I these are my friends. I met them." Like <laughs> I didn't tell her how I met them, where I met them, like why I met them because I had no I had no idea at that point. But um, but yeah, the, 
they they we left we left within the hour and we started on the road what about mm-hmm. what about your kid what about your son yeah my son at the time was with my, my husband kyle um and so uh we were were separated so he was living with with his dad and i i felt so heartbroken because i hadn't seen him in a while due to the pandemic um and so i i knew that like what i was doing was was really was what might potentially like cost me my life um, so when you say potentially might cost you your life did you guys have a plan for a specific line of action like what did you guys plan you were going to do in dc we as funny as it sounds now um <laughs> uh, we plan to paint the white house black you you plan to gain access to the white house yeah that's a suicide mission yeah exactly uh, the the plan the what our journey led to was something else we created baz instead with black house autonomous zone so it was symbolic um right. i mean before we even get to like okay. what happened in dc <laughs> like I, I was just trying to and we probably are going to split this episode into two but um i'm just planning okay. to know like the rationale so you guys met say you were going to wait when you say paint the white house black like paint the whole building black or kind of like you know graffiti spray paint so i messaging. was thinking graffiti i was thinking some some big like graffiti bomb like fire fire hydrant style like invite different uh crews to 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 do this there was a a mean wanted this to wanted this to happen legally so kind of like a fire hose with paint kind of thing yeah yeah um <laughs> um when we got when we got to when we finally got to dc it it was uh that that night there, wait, wait, that be, day was before, oh, before you okay wait 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 wait, wait. sorry wait, there's, I'm a, there's a lot to unpack here like this is oh, what sorry. you guys talked about like what happened on the trip because um for those are for people who are listening who might not be living in the u.s like if you google the united okay, states maps gotcha. and check where la is and where dc is it's like an opposite it's ends. like a two-day trip true right so that was like a long <laughs> ass trip like yeah what happened We've, like during the trip where you guys like plotting and talking about it like what were yeah. were there any memorable things that happened during that trip that road trip to DC a, a lot of memorable trips a lot of memorable uh it was a memorable trip with a lot of memories um let's see we got to know each other um i got to know the dynamic of, of the of, of the boys um they were really funny they had a banter that was like so familiar to me but i but i had no idea what they were talking about half the time like they were just like so Why? comedic were they speaking another language or something it seemed like it it seemed like it. they would get into these like scenarios and start acting out like different be different people and you know in a comedic way and um the music the playlist i can share with you the playlist branson made it so the the playlist was like this epic playlist that that um that ransom created for the trip and um we stopped we tried to stop as much as we tried and we tried not to stop uh throughout the trip and i think i didn't drive at all but the guys took turns and they basically we basically ate from eight we had we cooked ransom cooked from the from lisa we didn't sleep we didn't sleep at hotels or anything we slept in the car um, so we had like a, a small camping gear and stuff to cook and all that in the car yeah yeah a little bit yeah something like that um 
and it was so good. The food he cooked was amazing. It was like restaurant quality. And wait, wait, <laughs> wait, the only female in this group? Yes. And you're yes, concerned uh, that, hey, you know, these are a bunch of guys I met 24 hours ago. I'm in this car doing cross Yeah, I, I followed my intuition and I knew God was with us. So I, I was, um, I, I clicked instantly. Like I, there, sometimes when you look at someone in the eye, you can, you can, you, you have an unexplained trust. Sometimes you don't, sometimes it, it takes time, but I had an un- this instant bond with these three young men. Um, they, their ages ranged, but they were all in their mid twenties. Um, so yeah, I wasn't concerned at all. I think, uh, my friend Yvonne was concerned for me. He was like, he was like, no, like, what are you doing? You can't, you don't know them. Like what, what are you doing? Like, are you sure? This is crazy. Like, what are you, that's, that's not something that, um, that I had ever done. Um, and what do you guys do for money? Um, for money, I had no money. So I was very, I was very, I had EBT. So I, so that's, that was my contribution was through my EBT, but I had no real money. And, but, uh, I think Spencer funded most of, most of it. Um, like the, the gas and the, the, like any, any car parts that needed to, to be had. I think we, we uh, stopped at a Walmart. I think it was, I'm not sure if it was Texas or not. No, it wasn't. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out the map. <laughs> I'll right, try to remember. Right. I mean, it's but literally cross country. <laughs> yeah. Cross country. So yeah. Like, yeah. But we had to stop in, at a Walmart somewhere in, uh, in Midwest and, and, uh, changed Lisa's tires. Um, and, and we, we went inside Walmart and we were like, Ransom and I were just play fighting with the like pool noodles. And like, it was, it was just so playful. You know, it's, I never had brothers growing up. And so this, this trip really, you know, God was giving me brothers, three brothers to, to interact with. And they were so respectful. They never, they never, you know, wanted insinuated anything or um asked me inappropriate questions or you know they knew that i was a mom and that i had a a son and um they they didn't know anything about me i didn't know anything about them so it was just a get to know each other type of trip the trip and and while you guys were having that conversation was there any part of the conversation that made you feel uneasy or skeptical about what it is you guys were planning to do like did anyone like talk about things about like actual violence or, or plotting no not at all we no. we we never wanted to be violent like we never wanted to be violent we we were very much we very much we didn't know what, what we were going to see once we got to dc this was a grand this was like a whimsical idea it was a grand idea it was an idea that inspired me um but, and i had a lot of i took a lot of notes and i took a um and and uh, being having been a part of like a, the graffiti community for the first time in during you know this whole year of uh, the pandemic, it, it really it taught me a lot about um, how to move in 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 on in the streets, how to how to be cautious and how to express myself in a way that um, said something more than 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 what you see in, within like gallery spaces, within museum spaces. Um, I love public art. I, I love, um, I, I, think, I think art should be mundane, as mundane as possible. 
Um, um, the working class makes art all the time. We make installations all the time. And it's it's really interesting. We can get into this later, but uh, it's really interesting the way uh, contemporary art uh, steals from working class, like, everyday, everyday. life. Like, I mean, some people might argue that, you know, private it. property and, you know, um, you know, the right to privacy and, and the right not to have your property kind of like uh, infringed upon, if I, if that's a word, you know, mm. kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I know it's all back and forth between, you know, the, the public artists and, you know, um, other people, um, but it, it's always right. kind of like a bone of contention as, oh, you know, I, 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 you know, understand, you know, you have this right, but I also have a right to my property and I, I can't be incurring this cost in trying to, you know, get things off or things like that. Uh, when people come to like, you know, spray paint or do whatever kind of yeah. like on my art. And I know that the New York City government, like maybe in the 80s or 70s with the whole Basquiat thing, try to, mm -hmm. you know, meet in the middle where they will actually have like art parks. So a place that was built for public art and, you know, you could go there and do your thing. And so far, it's so like, private property or things like that like that there's always somewhere to meet in the middle but when we i, I want to get into you know when you guys arrive dc and with the whole black house autonomous zone that'll probably be on next week so i'm gonna probably split this episode into two um but yeah like i think you have a, a very interesting story and i'm intrigued to know what happened once you guys got to dc but just kind of like to wrap this particular part of the story up like um are there any is there anything you want to kind of like say to people who are experiencing some form of injustice in the world and would like to register the displeasure in one form or the other you think your way is the right way or you think um different people have different ways and so far everyone is going towards the same objective that's cool uh you know what what do you have to say to people who might be listening to this in different parts of the world and are might be inspired by your story and want to in a way kind of like make their words become action yeah that's a that's a great question um i was i would say follow your intuition i think i don't think my way is particularly right or wrong i think it's just the way that i experienced <laughs> the world um and i and i definitely followed my intuition through and through and, and it led me to beautiful people beautiful communities it led me to 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 seeing a little bit of what the world could be so I, I would say um, talk to strangers, let help people out when if when you can, if you can. Um, don't discard the vandals in society. Don't discard uh, the people without homes. Don't discard you know people that that the society discards on a daily with um, with in, with the uh, inequalities. I think talk to each other. Talk to talk to your neighbors. Talk to strangers. We learn from each other. You know, we 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 tend to just be really isolated and really prideful. And and the more we strip ourselves from that pride, the more we are connected to the divine. And 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 I I strongly believe that my intuition, our intuition, is is linked to spirituality. It's linked to something beyond us. So I, I'd say if we want true social change, we gotta we gotta be humble, we gotta be fearless, we gotta be able to talk to each other. And and yeah, I don't know. I I have I have more. I, sometimes I get in the mood where I, I'm like super extreme and super frustrated, and I've 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 gone from zero to a hundred myself, you know. And but um, 
but it comes out of love. It comes because I, it hurts. It's painful to watch the world crumble and to watch people in poverty in you know, people discarded. It, it, it's painful to watch my brothers and sisters be killed because of who they are, because of how they look, because of assumptions, because of white supremacy. It, it's heartbreaking. And I think that a lot of us, we, we're ignorant to, to the, our intuition. We're ignorant to, to our humanity. Interesting, interesting, man. I, I look forward to you know continuing our conversation. Um, definitely yeah, me too, Nosa. next week. Um, it's been Culture Class Podcast. So you guys can reach us uh, cultureclasspodcast.com. Um, do you want to drop any of your contact information or social media? Or you want to do that next week or next week? Let's do that next. All right, week. yeah, we can do that <laughs> next week. All right, see you guys next week where we shall continue the story. Um, till next episode, be well. Bye.